If you enjoy listening to podcasts, it's a good bet you probably enjoy listening to audiobooks as well. Have you tried Audible? There are literally thousands of audiobooks and podcasts on Audible with new titles being added every week. So here's the good news. You can try out Audible Premium or Audible Plus free for 30 days. You can listen anywhere, anytime, when commuting, exercising, running errands, or while doing housework. Check out the links in the show notes to access your free trial today. Welcome to the Communication 24-7 podcast, where we communicate about how we communicate. I'm your host, Jennifer Furlong. Today, have a very special episode planned for you. I have Marlene Chisholm in the studio. Marlene, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we have a lot to learn from you. Um, you're an author, speaker, uh, expert in keeping the drama out of the workplace, or at least trying to. So there's going to be a lot for us to talk about. But yeah, thanks again for for being willing to be on the show and sharing your expertise in this area. Well, thanks for having me, Jennifer. I'm excited about what's going to unfold. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We were just talking right before the countdown began how, you know, we're just going to kind of see where this takes us. And those of you who, uh, if you're watching live, we are live on Facebook, as well as LinkedIn and YouTube. Um, Please don't be shy. Make some comments, ask questions. That's why we're here. We want you to be a part of it. So participate. Make sure that you get those questions out there, especially when we're talking about conflict. I know, I know for a fact that there are a ton of questions out there. Um, but before we dive in, Marlene, do you mind just giving a, a real quick background as to how did you get into this area of, of conflict management and resolution? Oh, wow. I could go back to so many places, but I'll say that when I got introduced a long time ago, very, very long time ago to the Cartman drama triangle, um, the triangle is when dysfunction is happening in relationships, you can see victim, rescuer, persecutor. You can see dynamics that that are happening. It was built by a a psychologist, family, I think family therapy. And I Mm -hmm. took it and started working toward my master's degree with the word drama, kind of revived the way that I view it and and started doing all this research, got a master's degree with a, a capstone that was called drama in the workplace hampers productivity, the effect of relationships on the bottom line. And I started seeing that drama, 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 conflict, however you, however you define conflict, it affects everything in our lives, our health, our well-being, our productivity. So it started out at the beginning years of my professional speaking, getting a master's degree, and then it evolved into training. And then that evolved into consulting and it kind of led to this book. So my first book was stop workplace drama then it was no drama leadership. And then it was seven ways to stop drama in your healthcare practice. And I'm trying to get rid of the drama. So I'm now going from conflict to courage. So really using the language that other people use around drama and, and really talking about conflict in a bigger, bigger scope. And this particular book came about because I had been doing training and development on uh, what I call the performance conversation model. It was about difficult conversations regarding performance mm. and behavior. And that was what I wanted to write the book on. But the publisher said, could you expand it and make it about conflict? Because we already have an author on on that difficult conversation. So it's sort of an evolution and it even goes further back than that. But that's sort of a quick snapshot of how this book came into being. Wow, that's so interesting. It, it kind of reminded me back when I was in graduate school and I was focusing on crisis communication and we were living up in the DC area at the time. And this is when the DC area sniper was happening, just shooting out of nowhere. People are trying to fill up their cars with gas while running laps around the gas station because it was a a horrible, horrible way to live. And I remember thinking in terms of how, say when you're in a school system, you know, and something terrible happens and we have all of these different identities 
right? We, we're as a teacher, as a mom, as a friend, you know, as, as a guardian and how all of those identities, you know, will sometimes they actually will conflict with one another when you're thinking about what is the right thing to do? What is, what is the way to handle, you know, this particular situation? Um, and, and so I know in the workplace, we may not necessarily, um, hopefully have to deal with something, you know, to, to that magnitude, but I know that it can feel, you know, to that magnitude, especially when we're not sure as to what our place is in the workplace. And that's one of the things that I really wanted to, you know, ask you about in your book. You, you do talk a lot about leadership and I guess, you know, the type of leadership, how being confident in yourself and, you know, what types of leadership may be more conducive to being effective and in, in conflict management versus others. So that's why I'm, I'm really excited to, to get your take on how do we go about managing conflict in the workplace more effectively. Um, my first question before we get to that, though. One of the things that I know I talk to people about when we talk about conflict in the workplace is our perception of conflict. Can you say a little bit about how our perception of conflict has an impact on how we actually go about managing conflict, whether it's effective or, or ineffective? Yeah, there's so much around that. And again, so many mm -hmm. threads, but most mm -hmm. of us, we haven't really thought about it. We just hear that word. And, and some of us are pretty aware and we say, well, I know that I'm conflict avoidant. I just want peace. Right. And so I just, I really know that I avoid and we avoid it or if, or if we're uncomfortable with it, it's because of how we, um, our narrative about conflict. And, and I've had these mm -hmm. narratives as well, that it's a win, like it's a win, lose, it's a battle, mm -hmm. it's a clash. They're my enemy. And as long, and if, if that's unconscious, if you don't understand that that's what's kind of going on in the background, you're going to be really afraid of conflict. And you might even be afraid of your own aggressiveness toward it. So what, how I started this book really was to say, I don't really say embrace conflict. It's going to give you, I mean, let, let's get real. It's like I said earlier, I'm yeah. a little more cynical now. And I used to, I probably would. So let's just embrace it. And we just know, mm -hmm. but I just say now it's about facing the fact that if you're a leader, you will have conflict. You will have to yes. handle conflict. And most people don't realize that. So mm -hmm. what I'm saying now is that if you look at conflict as simply opposing drives, desires, and demands, the way that I visualize that is two arrows kind of going in opposite directions mm -hmm. so that if you can depersonalize it, even though you may for a moment feel that that person is against you or they're an enemy or that you need to win this one and you're kind of loaded for bear, just say, okay, so they have opposing drives, desires, and demands. We're not aligned. We're not going in the same direction. But then this makes me curious. What are their desires, drives, and demands? And they may not even be aware of that either. Maybe they do love to win and love to argue, and there's that drive. Maybe there's something within the budget that you don't know about that they do. And if they don't get their way, they're not going to accomplish something they've been working on for 10 years. So until you get curious about what are the opposing drives, desires, and demands, and what do I really desire, and what is my demand? If I don't know those things, I'm going to walk into conflict afraid of conflict. So first of all, it's about how you define conflict. Yes, that is so important. I mean, number one, conflict's going to happen, right? You just said, hello, we're humans. <laughs> and somebody's going to do something or say something that pisses you off, rubs you the wrong way, and vice versa. You know, we're no exception. We're going to do the same thing. So in working around a bunch of people, it is bound to happen. So I really like your concept of let's not let's not paint this picture of, oh, this is going to be a wonderful thing, you know, because it is, it is uncomfortable and it's not always a wonderful thing, but it is reality. It is reality. We, we're going to have to be able to face that. Um, you know, before the pandemic, I know there was a, a lot of interest in, in managing conflict in the workplace, because like I said, we are human and it, it's bound to happen. The past couple of years, though, um, we have really had some challenges as far as uh, being separated, being isolated. And now it seems like hybrid is the word of the day. We have people coming back into the workplace. I know the medical, medical community has just had their 
butts handed to them for the past two years, right? It has not been easy. So I know they're struggling. They're absolutely struggling. Um, how do they even begin to put the pieces of this puzzle back together? Because I know this is a difficult thing that so many organizations are, are going through right now. And I mean, you can see it just through customer service and then how people are just interacting with one another. Um, where do we start? Where where does leadership begin? Because we know it's going to have to come from the top. Right? It really does. And and so one concept that I offer, and this has really helped me in my life, it helps me in, in consulting and coaching others, starting from a place of what I call leadership clarity, because we really get into the weeds about whose fault it is, how long is this going to last? It just won't work out this way. That's not fair. That's really a lot of distraction. And some of it may be fact. This is going to be difficult. It may not be fair. These things happen for sure. But what we want to do is, as a leader, we want leadership clarity. And in all my other books, I talk about clarity in a broader scope. And I'm going to lay that foundation real quick so I can talk about leadership clarity. But in in my other work, I talk about um, that clarity can change any situation. And in all drama, there's always a lack of clarity. So Clarity in that description in my former work, and I bring it into this book, if you think of a boat and an island, we're all, we've got a situation and we've got an outcome. Then we have between the boat and the island, we have a shark. That's our obstacles. And we talk about our obstacles so much that we lose focus as to where we want to go. Or we try to hire a consultant and tell the consultant what to do. We need three workshops and we need a new diversity officer. That's going to change it. Take all that away, calm down for a moment, and define the situation, define your outcome, and define the observable or perceived um, obstacles. Because until you have leadership clarity, you, you don't even have a place to start. So the first part of it is what's happening that shouldn't be happening and what's not happening that should be. Once you clearly define the situation, with that understanding, it may change as you get more information. But at least if you start from here's what's happening or not happening, and then we say, here's what we want to have happen. And it's not about we want everybody to be back at the office. It's about we want to serve our clients, our customers, our patients in such a way that it's better than before. And by better, we mean these measurables. So we, we know what we're after. And it's not about the weeds. It's not about the how-to. It's not about the program or the workshop. Once we have those two points of attraction, our, our starting place and our end result, then we can say, well, here's the obstacles. Not everybody wants to come back. Some people don't think it's fair. We haven't found the right system or the right metrics, or we haven't found the right software. Now we know what we're up against, and we're looking at it sort of as if we're standing on a bridge looking down versus we're in the boat hitting each other with the oars. We're out of the drama. We're out of, I, I call it getting stuck on the rock called how. We're going to have a workshop. We're going to have a new diversity officer. We're going to have a new chief of people happiness. Okay, maybe you need that, but let's. you're not ready for that yet. That's the how-to. Let's first look at where we are, where we want to go, and what's standing in our way. That's leadership clarity. I'm so glad you said that because I I have heard so many organizations that are doing just that. Let's hire a, a chief of happiness. You know, okay. we'll ha- hire this... Chief of, you know, making sure that chief of joy, you know, whatever we want chief to call of inclusion, it. Chief of engagement, chief of whatever word is the topic of the of the moment. We're going to hire an officer, a C-suite officer of that word. And we're going to then talk about engagement until we're so sick of it. We can't stand it. When in reality, people will get engaged when they buy into what what the mission is and their own purpose in it. So we, we yeah. do all these things that I guess someone gets their master's degree and writes a book like I do. And then we all get on the same <laughs> But the reality is it's not that hard. It's, it's really pretty mm-hmm. practical. And then if you want to create those names and titles and officers and that it, it evolved into that, that's fine. But we put the cart before the horse so often on all these yeah. initiatives and um, these words that we use and, like I, I often joke around because we're all we we all are having this awakening where we want more yeah. people to feel included and engaged, and those are wonderful. So I don't want to sound so cynical that that isn't important. Mm-hmm. But here's the reality with all of that: if you're out there with a placard or you know talking about I want you know people to be kind and to be more inclusive, well, you know what? Go visit your aging grandmother in the nursing home because then you can start really offering those principles right in your own life instead of trying to fight about what you think is not working. That's just Mm -hmm. a distraction. 
It will come yeah. about if you get the clarity. Everything you want will come about from the clarity. Yeah. And if there are any leaders who will listen to this, you know, I, you know, one of the dangers in, in having that mindset of we're going to hire a chief of happiness, you know, and really at the end of the day, what they're doing is they're avoiding, right? They're avoiding dealing with the issues. And I think potentially what could happen, how this could backfire is now you're going to have a workforce that is feeling resentful, they're not feeling acknowledged. They're not feeling heard. It's, you know, we're putting this glossy coat of happiness over everything and really not dealing with what it is that is is at the heart of the conflict, that the issues that's happening in the workplace. Um, what would you say to a leader? Um, well, I guess the question I would want to ask is, are there particular types of leaders that can handle this type of situation more effectively than others? And if there are, what can they do yeah, to, try I, to mitigate that? I do talk about uh, what I call aligned leadership identity with the mm -hmm. idea. I love, I love thinking about identity, identity and playing with that. You mentioned it earlier. Mm -hmm. We all, our behaviors, um, our mm -hmm. identity drives our behaviors. So if, for example, a new leader comes and they get promoted because they were a top performer or because they've been there the longest or who else would we promote? No one else wants to take it, whatever that is. They may struggle if they don't view themselves as a leader and have a clear understanding of what leadership really means. So mm -hmm. if we haven't defined it, if I, as the new person that's a new leader, haven't thought about what does that really mean and what do I lead from? What are my values? So I call it aligned leadership identity. And an aligned leadership identity is I see myself as a leader and so do you. So therefore, mm -hmm. whenever I gather people, facilitate, ask questions, you see me as someone that facilitates that change or that direction, not necessarily the authoritarian type of leader, but I'm very aligned in that you see me as someone to go to that I have the best interests of the organization. The other two that I talk about is I see myself as a leader, but you don't. That's probably the person that likes to be bossy and get things done. And I'm a leader. I'm doing most of the work. Why don't other people see me as someone that to take charge or to hire me as a leader? And then there's the one who others see you as a leader, but you don't see yourself as one. So you feel not confident. You don't go to your executives to say, coach me a little. And instead, you try to make them feel like you know what you're doing because you don't want to look bad. So that's misaligned leadership, both of those other two, where you do not feel like a leader or you do and others don't see you as one. So what you want to do to be able to equip yourself with this conflict and the things coming up in our world is not only do you want others to see you as a leader, but you need to see yourself as a leader. Wow, that is so important. Um, I can imagine how difficult it's going to be for a leader. You're put in this position to lead others. And if you don't truly see yourself as that leader, how are you going to be able to manage the conflict when it does come along? You probably feel as if, you know, who am I to, to get into this? Or are they even going to listen to me? I don't feel like, you know, they, they really should listen to me or for whatever reason. That's such an important thing to keep in mind with the alignment um, of how we view ourselves versus how others view us. So let's say you've been a leader for a while and um, you're that, you know, the, the country club type of leader, right? Hey, I'm everybody's best friend, right? Hey, everybody, I want everybody to like me. You know, let's make sure that we have some drinks later. And, you know, and then when the crisis comes along or, you know, there's conflict that, that happens, um, I imagine that can make it a little difficult for those types of leaders. So what recommendations, because like you said earlier, you don't want to, you're not the authoritarian, right? You don't want everyone hating you at the organization, but then at the same time, you can't be everybody's best friend at the organization to manage this conflict. So what do we do? Now, what's interesting about that is people think a lot of times that that's just a brand new leader that likes to be the best friend, but it's actually, it's, it's not. I even see that with executives. So I want to talk about kind of three different behavioral styles, if you don't mind, that are, are um, what I call the three dysfunctional leadership behaviors. So that first one is best friend. And I've even seen executives like at the top, even CEO, be more like my door is always open, which is fine. But if your door is open and that person comes to you and they override their supervisor because they feel like you're such a nice guy that you're going to say, well, sure, you can work virtually. And 
that hasn't been discussed with the leader of that department, that's a problem. And it's coming from this drive, desire, and demand to have you like me versus the conflict that comes when I say, well, my door is open, but you still have to go to Jim or Jane, your boss. You still have to go to them and talk because I'm not in charge of that department. But I appreciate you talking it through. Have you talked with them? Like they don't even notice that that's happening and people will learn how to manipulate up if they think they can get by with it because of that standard of being so nice and he's so great, he's not untouchable. But that's not necessarily the way that you need to be because it hurts your other leaders right below you. So that's the best friend leader. That also happens with brand new leaders that are like, well, you know what, we're all adults and um, you know, if I'm nice to them, they're going to be good to me. And it just doesn't work that way because someone's going to take advantage or they're going to do something wrong. And then you're going to have to, you're going to have to lay the hammer down and that's not going to feel good. So there's the best friend leader. Then there's the hero leader. And that person is probably the great performer. They were a star whenever they were a solo performer. And now it's hard for them to share that limelight. So they have a, a hidden desire or drive to still be in the spotlight versus putting you in the spotlight. So therefore, oh, I can do it. I can get it. Well, I've always worked harder than everybody else. I've got the answer. Come to me. Instead of coaching and supporting Mm -hmm. and growing people, they become this hero leader and it just totally clips the wings of everybody else. And then there's the hands off. And I see this as I do believe you have to grow your team and, and help your team to where you shouldn't have to micromanage. But there's this big distinction between hands off and micromanagement or hands-on and micromanagement. And hands-on means we have maybe one-on-ones every week or every other week, or or we update each other. And I know what's going on and you don't feel that I'm micromanaging just because I ask a question. And I think employees throw that word around micromanager in order to intimidate and to make the leader be more hands-off. But what I found in conflict, that if let's say, let's say you're a, maybe a step above director, and your director is mismanaging conflict and you don't know it and they're moving people around. I call it moving people around on the chessboard and they've had some sort of conflict. And then someone comes to you and you're, you're like, well, go back to your person, because if you don't understand what's going on, litigation is getting ready to happen. <laughs> I've seen it over and over and over. You need to understand the conflicts of the leaders below you and their employees. Yeah. And you're not going to know that if you're not communicating with your workforce. So yeah, that, that delicate balance between that, that open door policy that you mentioned earlier, making sure that, that you're, you're not somehow uh, stepping over mid-management, letting them do what they need to do, because you're right, they need to develop as leaders as well um, to that opposite end of it, you know, the micromanaging aspect of it. But you're right, you're just, you need to know what's happening if you're going to be able to manage effectively. Well, I mean, leaders not necessarily manage everything effectively, but you got to know what's going on, you know, in your organization. That way you're not surprised, you know, do you find you're surprised as a leader? Oh, this is yeah, really? you're getting sued? <laughs> yeah, and I think something else too that when you start viewing yourself as a learner and as a coach, like both, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm a learner at any level, but I'm also a coach to those that are right under me, so that they feel like I'm not going to be the hero and tell them exactly what to do. But come to me, tell me what you're planning on doing, and then mm-hmm. let's talk that through. Come back and let me know how that happened. If if you feel like you've got a coach, and most leaders, I don't think know how to coach really. They they pretty right. much either hands-off or they're hands-on and it's total micromanagement. So that in-between is sort of, I think, looking at yourself and others as learners and as coaches in your respective areas, or maybe even advising, you know, here would be my Mm -hmm. advice, because if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. If you knew that you had someone to go to without being called incompetent, because everyone's worried about being perceived as competent when they get a leadership position. But the truth is, you can't know these things and it's not even relevant to you until you become a leader. So right. Yeah. The light bulb just went off there. I'm hearing so many parallels between how you're describing how to develop, you know, others and and being a coach. And, you know, I've, I've taught communication in the classroom at the college level for 18 years now. And similar things happen, I think, with newer professors wanting to be the friend, wanting to seem friendly, wanting to, coddle in a lot of ways. And then you have the other professors that are kind of like, look, 
they, we have no flexibility. <laughs> this is my way or the highway, you know, and you're going to do it this way. And th- even then there's not growth. So you really do have to be able to kind of step back and allow some mistakes to occur, but then guide them along and, you know, answer questions and be okay with saying, I don't know the answer to that right now, but Hey, let's, let's, figure it out? Or what do you think? Or, you know, how do you think would be a, a good way to move forward in, in yeah. this situation? Instead of just good questions. Yeah. Yeah. Just good questions and learning with them mm-hmm. instead of feeling that you have to know everything you don't. I just think it's about the initiative, take the initiative and don't, I think I see so much of that's not my lane. That's not my thing. Go here, do that. But you can still take initiative. I'll tell you who to go talk to. You know, I can, yeah. we can look together it's that initiative. I think that's such a missing part so often. Right. And it sounds like, I mean, there's a lot of intentionality with being a leader and making sure that you set things up in the culture beforehand so that when conflict does happen, it's not something that is not manageable. Right. Um, I'm I'm interested in one of the things that you talk about in your book talking you say leaders need to expand conflict capacity. Um can you say a little bit about that because I'm now that I'm thinking about the strategy of being a leader and in, in managing conflict effectively, walk me through that aspect of it. Yeah, so as long as we stay comfortable in our little patterns, whether that's our defense mechanisms are going to be avoiding, appeasing, or aggression. We're going to just do one of those things to release the energy that we feel, you know, when we're in conflict. So in order to expand, what I've done is broken it down into three overlapping circles, a Venn diagram, where you can say that, okay, part of building your capacity for conflict is that you have to have some of the skills. And a lot of organizations will offer skills training. They'll have a workshop or they'll have a series of mini workshops or they'll have LinkedIn learning and people will get their certificates and they'll say, I've been to the difficult conversations. I've got my certificate. That's great. That's skills training. And then it's about embodiment, right? Then it's not just about you could pass it on a test because I always say we all know the answer in a classroom or in the test, but then in real life, Life happens and all of a sudden it's like algebra when you're trying to do homework, right? Mm-hmm. So what you want to do is you want to the inner game. So the skills is the outer game. That's the outer game. We learn the skills, the ways to say things, the way to say it positive instead of negative. Ask for what you want versus what you don't want. Get curious versus having the answer, that kind of stuff. And then the inner game is more about your inner journey of what's going on. It's your deliberate practice, your your willingness to feel some bad feelings, your willingness to not have all the answers, your desire. It's just your inner journey that you're always going to be expanding. Because what I've found is that you can have all the answers in a workshop and have the skills, but if you don't have capacity internally, you'll eventually resort to these other behaviors. And then finally, for a leader, this is extremely important, is the culture. The culture allows for you to lead the way you need to lead. If you're in a culture where they've hired you, for example, to be a change agent and you um, you have the capacity, you've worked on your inner game, you've dealt with your own insecurities, you have worked on the skills, you're pretty good at several of them, but the upper level leadership, they say they want change, but then they like everybody to get along. It's Stepford Wise. Yeah. You, you try to change, you're the, number right. one, you're the number one enemy at that point. So if you don't have support at the top, if the structures aren't in place for you in the culture, for you to actually lead. If someone keeps slapping your hand, if someone is too nice, if the culture won't allow it, then you're going to have to get another place to to lead because it's not going to work out. So all those three circles, when they overlap, you've got in the middle, your capacity, as you expand each circle, that middle, that middle part grows too. Yeah. I love that, that idea of expanding um, outward and how you, I'm visualizing that Venn diagram and you're right. Uh, the, the, all the outside stuff, that's the stuff that, you know, you and I can go into an organization and we can show them and coach them. And these are all the things that you can do. But at the end of the day, I always say communication is a skill, just like any other skill, you got to work at it. And this is like a daily thing. And it's the small things that make the big difference, but you got to engage in that practice every day. If you want to improve that skill of communication, um, but that requires, like you were explaining, that inner work 
And that can be a really uncomfortable process for a lot of people. I had an experience um, several months ago. I'm not going to say where I was. I'm just going to say we were doing some activities where I asked them to really think about their experiences and and how those experiences have impacted uh, them as communicators, you know, because we we talk about different styles of communication, so on and so forth, and and how it impacts how comfortable we are with with dealing with conflict, you know, um, on a daily basis. How how many interactions do we have with people who are different from us? And it's not necessarily race, you know, it's all kinds of things that, you know, we talk about diversity and there was one person in particular, he was not having it. He became so defensive, so defensive and uncomfortable. And this was a manager. Um, How as a leader, you know, how can we encourage or can we encourage others, I guess, to be willing to look inward and, and understand that it's okay if we're feeling a bit uncomfortable and if it's okay if there's maybe some things that we're not exactly proud of, you know, that's why we're doing this so that we can get better, be better tomorrow than we are today. How can you be a leader in that, you know? It's scary to deal with someone who's very defensive, but you've hit a hot yeah. button. Mm-hmm. So I think first you have to create that safe space for someone to feel what they feel. Like it's okay that you're defensive. It's not my job to make you not defensive and walk on eggshells. Mm-hmm. Like it's just okay. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of skills I would use here. One is just the observable behavior. Like mm-hmm. Ted, when when I mentioned this, I noticed that your voice got loud. Mm-hmm. Walk me through what's happening. Yeah. Or yeah. I I like when I hear you say that, it makes me gasp because I feel a little bit of fear, like I've made you angry. Mm-hmm. Because if we share our perception, a perception is just my interpretation. It might be wrong. And if I say like, I'm just perceiving that I've made you angry or that you're in a mood. And if they say, oh, they will, almost always will say, oh, no, no, not at all. You're just sensitive. Yeah. Almost always the defensive person will say something like that, which mm-hmm. might be even true. But you can mm-hmm. say, oh, okay, well, I just, I wanted to bring it up for the purpose of us communicating better. So it's observable behavior representing myself, like what I'm experiencing. Like right now I'm experiencing, I'm withholding a bit because I feel that you're really passionate. And then they might go, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I am. And now you're back, you know, you're back and you've created that safety. But it's really important that we don't make someone wrong for how they trigger. Mm -hmm. We all all get triggered. And, And I think, you know, as you said earlier, communication is difficult and it takes a lot of work. And the reason it's difficult is not because the skills themselves can't be memorized or practiced. But when we're dealing with real communication, we're dealing with old wounds. We're dealing with psychology, our family of origin, our own interpretations, our own blind spots. The inner game is about that stuff. And Mm -hmm. to, to get good at that stuff, you have to expand your feeling sense. In other words, let things kind of flow through you, even when it doesn't feel good, when it normally feels better to scream and yell at someone or say, my way or the highway, you learn how to take the space and let that horrible feeling sit for a moment. I can honestly say I'm not good at that all the time. Sometimes I do trigger and I'm I'm rude or quick sometimes. Like that's more my pattern than avoidance. Some people avoid and withdraw and they get depressed. I'm more of an aggressor. But I, I've recognized it. So recognizing it is the first part, like, oh, I avoid or, oh, I, you know, I get, you know, kind of crazy. So if you can say to someone and we all have to say to ourselves, it's OK for me to not feel good for a day. It's right. okay for me to be uncomfortable. In fact, I say when it comes to growth, comfort is not a requirement at all. And that doesn't mean you're not being authentic just because you're not comfortable. So right. you have to be OK with discomfort. That's what makes you expand on the inner game. Mm-hmm. I, that makes me think of something that I don't know where I heard this before, but I've been repeating it ever since for a long time. Give yourself permission to be human. Yeah. That's, that's where we are. You know, we, we are, hu- we're not robots. Right. <laughs> so give yourself permission to be human. And yeah, I have your temper tantrum for, you know, I do the same thing. Um, I, when I recognize that I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm, I can feel it. Yeah, I can 
feel that that negative energy starting to rise up, whatever has just happened. And sometimes you do need to say, okay, I'm going to give myself a timeout. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. give myself permission to have my temper tantrum for 20 minutes. Let me go close my door, whatever it is I got to do. And then at the end of the 20 minutes, you know, let me really think rationally. Let me start thinking with, you know, that part of the brain rather than the emotional brain so I can, you know, handle this. Um, you also talk about, um, in your book, sometimes leaders though, will unintentionally mismanage conflict, um, because of, of avoiding, right. Because of avoiding the conflict. Um, and, and you said they fall into patterns of, of coping mechanisms. Would you mind just explaining those coping mechanisms? Because I'm sure, that I'm not alone in being able to recognize some of those coping mechanisms. <laughs> and we don't always recognize that we're coping. And, you know, wow, the more you write a book on something like this or study it, the more you see for yourself of, of your yeah. own. You know, it's easy to look at everybody else's stuff, right? Harder to look oh, yeah. at. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But in the book, um, this might be what you're referring to. I call it the three A's, avoiding, appeasing, and aggression. And mm. so an example of avoidance, an example. Because a lot of times avoiders know they avoid, but they don't know how often they avoid. And then there's some that just identify with being nice and they don't understand that's avoidance. Because yeah. if someone comes to you with your open door and they ask for a favor from you and you say, okay, you've just avoided hurting their feelings or telling them they've got to go to their manager. You don't realize that that was avoidance or that was appeasing perhaps. But avoidance, one that I see a lot in the workplace is, let's say a group of people aren't getting along or one person's coming to tattle or complain about someone else, and maybe another person does too, or maybe you believe the one person that represents everyone. We all feel that way. That's a trap right there. But then you say, okay, well, you know what I'm going to do? We're going to have a reorganization. These two people are going to go work in the basement, and we're going to say, we had to do this. We're going to make up a story about why it had to happen, and we're going to like maybe make people apply for it, but you two are the two that got chosen. So I'm avoiding saying, let's, what's going on here? What is the real situation here? I've avoided doing my own investigation. I've avoided the own accountability I have as a leader. I believe my favorite person that said everybody feels this way. And now I've taken it on myself to make sure nobody feels unhappy. Now mm -hmm. I've taken it upon myself to make sure everybody's happy because we've moved the problem person. So that's avoidance. So that's moving a person from one department to the next or saying something like, well, I inherited them, so I can't really change the evaluations now. They've been getting by with it for like three years, and I've inherited them. So, I mean, what can I do? I inherited it. I was at a conference one time, and I'd done a, a workshop or a program, and a person came and said, this was so good. Unfortunately for me, there's nothing I can do because I inherited this this person. And I said, really? I said, that is tough. I said, how long have you been the leader? 12 years. <laughs> <gasps> what? I've inherited them. That's going to be my story now for like, you know, for the rest of my life. But anyway, I just smiled because I thought, wow, this is not the time. I was going to ask you, did you have your poker face on when just, <laughs> you said that or did you react? Like, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to sell books, so I'm avoiding that conversation. Like, play. Right. <laughs> but I, I just went, oh, okay. And I thought, wow, that's great for, for a speech or for an article right mm -hmm. there. But, you know, uh, there's a timing for things as well. And, you know, this was not that timing and it was a very brief interaction, but avoiding is that um, doing the things to keep me from feeling anything uncomfortable. Another one, which is real similar, and this is where people are very unaware of this one. And it's called appeasing. I will say that I never do this because my word is golden. I don't say I'll get back with you. Let's do lunch. I think it's a great idea. Why don't we consider it? I've just learned not to do that because it causes so much drama later to tell employees that this is a great idea. We want you to engage. And so when they come up with an idea that is not going to happen, well, they engage. So I'm going to tell them that was awesome. I love the idea. We'll talk about it in the next quarter. Next quarter comes, that was appeasing. You didn't even think about it. They're all planning on that next quarter going, okay, I get the spotlight and it was never brought up. That was because you appeased and never took it seriously. So I see appeasing all the time of, I love it. It's a great idea. I agree. I think we should do it, but it's really not up to me. Um, 
I think that's appeasing is just shoving it off. And even I think I write in my book about, cause I see this all the time, you know, someone asks you to get on a board of directors or a nonprofit board. And would you, we'd love to have your talents. You're like, Oh my God, I would thank you so much. I'm so honored. And you're like thinking, no, I cannot bear it. And then the time comes and you're like, okay, you know what? I got a sick daughter. My, my, uh, my favorite cat is at the vet and my mother just landed in the nursing home. You try to figure out something to get out of it because you appeased mm-hmm. it in the moment versus saying, let me think about it and get back with you next week, Tuesday at three o'clock, because I've got a lot on my plate and I'm not sure I can realistically, we, we don't want to do that. We like right. to see the eyes sparkle. So that's appeasing. And then yeah. aggression, which I said, you know, is really more of my, my problem that I'm working on is just more of a, like done with the conversation, done. I'm clear what I want to do. I'm done entertaining. Uh, it's a low tolerance for certain feelings whenever there's conflict or when you've already thought it through so much and the other person isn't where you are. Um, that need for speed or that impatience, which is something that's like I was burdened with that. I, I jokingly say that there's a flower named after me and it's impatience. But, <laughs> but I think it's so important to work on self-regulation, regardless of which pattern you have, and to not judge people that have a different pattern. Just to know that if, you, if you're in one of them, you're basically in all of them. Because in today's time, if you're driving in traffic and someone flips you off and you honk and flip them off, they're like likely to pull a gun out and blow your head off. Right. So yes. you, you don't even have to start it. It can be someone else mm-hmm. cutting you off and then you do something like, ah, you know, flip them a bird or whatever you do. That's just a reaction. You don't even really mean it. And then all of a sudden someone else that's not regulated at all, that's not having a good day. And they're all wound up about politics. They're just going to, they're going to run you over with their car or pull out a gun. You just, it, today, it's very important. I'm really working on those skills because we all react. And sometimes those of us that react, we just do it as part of the game. But for someone else, it might be serious. So you you can't afford to do it. Yeah. It reminds me of something I would tell my kids, you know, when they were really little and, you know, something would happen at school, they'd get in trouble and, you know, it would start off with, well, so-and-so did and be like, not concerned about what so-and-so did. I want to focus on what was it that you did as a response to that, yes. right? Because we, and and as adults, you would think as adults, right? Um, just for us, um, that would become an easier process, but it's not. I think our go-to answer is we want to blame, well, so-and-so did this and so-and-so did that. It's like, well, okay, we had a choice here when whatever so-and-so did, okay, and that's true, they may have done that, but we still have a choice at the end of the day. How are we responding to that? You know, I, I think that goes recognize back to the choice. That's the problem. Yeah. We didn't recognize it because we were programmed and we just reacted. And then, yeah. you know, I know that I do this too. We tell our story to our best friend. And they're like, well, you deserve, they deserve, like, you know what? Let it go. <laughs> they deserved it. We're like, oh, that was just the, that was just the lemonade I needed in the desert. Right. Right. That's they right. Deserved <laughs> they deserved it. You had every right. And it's true that you have the right, but the question is, how do you want to show up? It's not that you don't right. have the right to feel something. It's mm-hmm. just that you did expressing the way you did, did that align with how the best of who you want to be? Like That's if you right. always justify it, then you're never going to grow. But if you say, well, yeah, yeah they deserved it, but it's not how I want to show up anyway. So That's what I would right. do next time would be X. Yeah. Yeah. Has there been um, a time where, you know, with working with leaders or an organization or, you know, a C-suite where you just knew that they're going to have to, they're going to have to just completely reshift everything. Like they're, this is just not going to work. You I've know? seen it, but I've never gotten to work with them. When it's, yeah. Yeah. I do see it and I don't always think completely, but I will often think that it's really sometimes the top leader is struggling mm. to make hard decisions and yeah. they're wanting again to make it complicated. Well, yeah. You know, they were they were a star performer before and now they're not really coaching their team. And so we need to have this big group workshop, this group. No, you as a leader need to talk with them and get to the bottom of it. I mean, I can do those things and we can still get there. That's for sure. I can guide those conversations and you'll have new insights. But in the end, so often it is about a difficult conversation that needs to happen that has not happened yet. So often. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there is a team and I'm, I'm actually thinking about a, a group that <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and work with them again. There's a, there's a team it, within the team. There's a lot of emailing that goes back and forth. Right. And then each individual team member goes into the manager and they're complaining individually directly to the manager, but then the manager's not doing anything about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, that's exactly what you're talking about is that that manager, the leader needs yeah. to help the manager develop those skills to be able to. Yeah. And there's lots of different strategies. It may be a group meeting to say, okay, here's what's happening. There's a yeah. lot of emails back and forth and there's no direct mm-hmm. conversations. So I want you all to think about what is it that you're wanting to create? What's not happening that mm-hmm. should be happening? Yeah. And we're not going to blame, but we're all going to get on the, or my goal is to get us on the same page. Right. Or to even say, I've allowed this for so long and now I need to clean it up. So here's what we're doing in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Responsibility, accountability, right. And, and taking responsibility for, for steering that ship. Like you said earlier, I mean, this is the boat you see the, <laughs> that's where we got to go. Right. Um, and it's so, you know, taking that responsibility, that accountability piece into it. Um, this has been a wonderful conversation, Marlene, um, your book and it's, uh, from conflict to courage. <laughs> Where, where can we get your book? It's available on Amazon or anywhere you buy books from Conflict to Courage. Uh, how to stop there avoiding you go. Start leaving. <laughs> All right. Usually and, from the U.S. get it. I think there's other places too, like Book Depository. Right, right. Okay. Now, um, if we wanted to get in contact with you, um, how would we, what's the best way to do that? What's What are your social platforms that you're on? I would say the easiest way is LinkedIn because I'm there a lot. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of yeah. programs for LinkedIn learning. So if you want to connect with me there or, you know, go, go to the back end and say something, say that you met me here on this podcast. Um, or my email is Marlene at MarleneChism.com. And that's my website is MarleneChism.com. But LinkedIn, if you're on LinkedIn, that's a real easy way to just find me and to, to comment. Excellent. And I'll make sure that all the links are in the show notes. So anyone who's interested in that, they'll be able to find you and and your book as easily as possible. Uh, As we wrap up, is there anything left that you think, man, let me touch on this one thing just before we we leave to make sure that everybody kind of hears this piece? Was there a question that I, I left unasked that you would like to you know, n- not necessarily, but I think this is something important to remember because we've gotten confused about this. So disagreement, which is conflict. Conflict is disagreement to some degree. Disagreement does not ruin relationships. Disrespect does. Mm. So if we can just remember that when it comes to conflict, someone can disagree. They can be on a different political spectrum than I am. They can be see life differently, have different values. And I don't have to ever agree or convince them. I can always disagree, especially if we don't work together. But it's not the disagreement that's causing the problem. It's the disrespect. So the name calling, the labeling, um, leaving people out just because you don't like something, is that is the disrespect. If we can have conversations without disrespect or even have different ideas and just be open a little bit and expand and be curious, we'll, we'll gain so much conflict capacity just from that understanding. Wow. That is an amazing way to end the podcast. That is some very valuable advice right there. Thank you so much, Marlene, for being a guest on the show, sharing some of the talking points from your book and just kind of sharing your wisdom as well. Conflict is not easy. It's not fun. You know, it's it's a really difficult thing. And just having um, the information and, and figuring out, you know, how to get better at this is is something that I think we all really want to be able to do is just putting in the work and making it happen. It's not an easy thing by any stretch of the imagination. So thank you again. Well, thanks for having me. Hopefully I'll get Marlene back again and we'll continue this deep dive into uh, conflict management and how to get that drama out of the workplace. <laughs> All right. Until then, everybody take care.
So you love listening to podcasts, huh? Have you thought about starting your own? If so, today is a great day to do just that. Look, when I decided to start my podcast, I had absolutely no idea what in the heck I was doing. I had so many questions. Do I need a lot of equipment? Will it be expensive? How do I even begin? Then I heard about Buzzsprout through some other podcasters and decided to check it out. And to my delight, I found I did not have to buy any gear. I didn't need any special equipment or any special knowledge. I could work with what I already had and just needed to find a quiet space to record. I found that podcasting isn't really that hard when you have the right partners. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. And the team at Buzzsprout wants to help you succeed. They get your show listed in every major podcast platform. You get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you could drop into other websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening, tools to promote your episode, and much, much more. Join over a hundred thousand podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. If you follow the link in the show notes, Buzzsprout will know that I sent you and that will get you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. Not to mention, it helps support my show. You have a story to tell, a message to share? Join Buzzsprout today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. Also, you can now buy some communication 24-7 swag. Yes! Please go to our website and spell the numbers out, www.communication247.com. Buy some merch, submit a pic to me, and I'll give you a shout out on the next episode. Remember to follow me on Facebook, LinkedIn, and also subscribe to the Communication 24-7 podcast YouTube channel to find out when our next edition of Unscripted is being live streamed. Watch during the live stream and participate by making comments and asking questions. Till then, take care.